Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin, and I am brimming with excitement over the thought of you streaming my thoughts into your ears. I hope everybody is doing well. I hope everybody is staying safe out there. Times are still crazy, unfortunately, but that's not something I'm going to decide to get into on today's episode. Um, The first thing I want to talk about is why it is so unnecessarily hot out here in New York State. I'm sitting in my room. Unfortunately, the air conditioner is off because that bitch gets all over the microphone and it's just it's too much of a hassle. It's it's just un, it's an unnecessary it's unnecessary for me to have to sit here and just have you listen to the constant breeze, the constant buzz. Just there's there's no reason for it. There, there's simply no reason for it. So I'll suffer for a little bit just to bring everybody that good content. But right now we're sitting at like 93 degrees, some shit like that. It's absurd. Uh, it feels like a hundred easily. I do have a little bit of water next to me, staying hydrated, which is, of course, crucial now and always. Just always be drinking water, bro. But I just, the the weather in New York State is, is just so bizarre, right? Winters are frigid, snowy, icy, just all around unforgiving. And then there's no spring either. There's really also no fall. New York is one of those two-season states. It's just summer and winter. Six months of summer, six months of winter. It'll be like October 17th, and it'll be 25 degrees out. And two days before, hovering around 70. Just absurd. I don't know what the deal with that is. Climate change, whatever. All I know is that it's unbearable sometimes. It really does suck. And like that's really my biggest complaint about living up here. But another state that has, you know, relatively hot climate, Florida. And what's in Florida, aside from the coronavirus? NBA basketball, ladies and gentlemen. We have real live NBA basketball back on our televisions, and it's just, it's fantastic. I've missed the sport so much. I've caught as many scrimmage games as possible. Some have been good, some have been not so good, and specifically I'm talking about my Brooklyn Nets opener against the New Orleans Pelicans. At least I think it was the opener where they got absolutely smackaronied by 30. They got 30 pieced by the New Orleans Pelicans. And no disrespect, man. Pelicans are a solid team. They're a lot of fun to watch, but the Nets are throwing out just the JV lineup right now. I mean, I'm sorry if that comes off disrespectful, but it's not it's not the group that we were accustomed to seeing during the regular season. And as I've talked about in the past, I don't really, I don't really have an opinion on it. All the guys that have decided to sit out the the resumption, I totally understand. I'm not mad at them. I don't hold any ill will toward them. Uh, Where am I going with this? My brain just stopped working. That's the thing about the heat is like the extreme weather, at least for me personally, it just, it just makes me not think. I mean, I don't do much thinking anyway, because that's not something I like to be doing that much of. But when it's just like when it's too hot or when it's too cold, my brain just shuts off extra quickly. So I'm going to try to get back into this thought. Kyrie, Katie, Wilson Chandler, whomever else decided to sit out the um, to sit out the resumption of the regular season and the postseason. I hope that you guys are recovering. I hope that you're enjoying watching your teammates play 
And I hope that you are just staying ready for next season because, as I've said previously over and over, maybe not over and over, um, and a lot of my friends in the Nets community echo the sentiment, it was never about this season. It was always next season and the one after it because Kevin Durant was probably not going to play at all this year. And as the months got by and as the playoffs neared before lockdown, of course, there was always like the chance, but I don't think anyone like actually fully believed it. Like we entertained the idea, but no one had their hearts set on it because there was there was really no point. The Nets did they they simply don't have the team right now to make a title run. And I've talked about that ad nauseum with my guy Justin. Uh they're gonna need to make another move. And I'm sure that him and I are gonna talk about this on Wednesday when we record our our podcast, the podcast that has yet to be named. Um, like I've seen some rumors floating around Bradley Beal, whom I love. I thought Bradley Beal, or I think Bradley Beal is probably going to be first team all NBA this season, put up all-star caliber numbers. Um, I can't remember if he made the team or not. It was so damn long ago, but like he'd be in the MVP conversation if the wizards were better. And of course that's no fault of his own. The team is just, the team is not that good without John Wall, without many other pieces. They, they simply cannot compete. And He's one of those guys who's just putting up solid numbers on an atrocious team. I mean, he's kind of like the Devin Booker of the East Coast. Um, another name that came up, Zach Levine. Now, Zach Levine is like the backup plan, the plan B, if Bradley Beal doesn't work out. Um, I also, I too like Zach Levine, not only because we share the same name and the same spelling, but because he is like a light version of Bradley Beal. Solid all-around scorer. Uh, doesn't really play defense, which I... Not many stars do. It's just how it is. Not many stars are menaces on the defensive end. Um, quality playmaker as well. I would not mind bringing him onto the team, but that's only if they fail to bring on Bradley Beal. And I don't know how likely that is. I don't know if the Wizards are open to trading Bradley Beal. Maybe they're going to try to have the John Wall Beal pairing make one last run, but Zach Levine is probably the more acquirable target. And in any event, they're going to have to part ways with either Spencer Dinwiddie or Karis LeVert. I'm thinking it's going to be Karis LeVert if it gets to that point. Obviously, we still have a considerable amount of time before the offseason starts, before next season starts. So we'll see what happens. I mean, they don't even know what their coaching situation is going to be like next season. And that might be their most pressing concern as it was with their in-state rival, the New York Knicks. Um, just to just to get off of the Nets for a second, I want to direct my attention over to the Denver Nuggets and Bull Bull in particular, dude. This man is playing like a goddamn freak, a full blown unicorn, an FBU, if you will. I mean, just the highlights that have been popping up on my TL for this kid: blocking shots, grabbing rebounds. Dribbling down court and he's like what seven seven something seven three. Let me let me look up how tall this man is real quick. I know he's he's above seven foot. I can't remember what exactly, but like the Nuggets got a steal in him. That's for sure. Forty fourth pick in last year's draft. Well, yeah, twenty nine. Well, last calendar year. Pardon me, twenty nineteen. Uh, he's 7'2", pardon me, but still, 7'2", he's got like a 13-foot wingspan, I watched the, the video of him, 
blocking J.J. Redick shit on the perimeter. And even J.J. Redick was like, I had no idea how, how he got that. That was incredible. But that's what happens when you're long. You got good timing. And, you know, decent athleticism. His fluidity, his mobility, it's just, it's off the charts. And not only on the defensive end, but the offensive end as well. There was my computer giving me these notifications. Fantastic. I mean, he's showing all the shades of what, he did at Oregon before suffering that injury that limited him to only nine games. He's just been absolutely fantastic. And I was kind of skeptical on the Nuggets heading into the postseason because they, they're they a very interesting team to me, right? Of course, they've got Nikola Jokic, who is arguably the best center in the league, right up there with Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, undeniably tier one at his position, right? And... We knew he's going to come out and play. He's going to put up 22, 11, 7, just some absurd stat line. But the rest of the team is where it really gets interesting, right? So they got Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, Gary Harris. Those are the guys taking up a majority of the minutes. Um, Denver does have a very deep team. They have eight quality guys at least. But more than that, they've got at least 10. Yeah, I'm just reading it off. Jeremy Grant, Gary Harris, Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, uh, Mason Plumley, Torrey Craig. Now, throw Bobo into the mix. I'm going to try and pull up uh, one of his most recent games. But throw Bobo into the mix. And Denver, they, I think they can definitely make a deep playoff run now. I mean, the only thing going against them right now is their inexperience. Right? The team is very young. Very young. And as we've seen in the past, young teams typically do not perform perform well in the postseason. I'm sure I've talked about this before. It's no fault. It's not it's not their fault, right? They just they're not used to it. They don't know. They don't know what it's like. I mean, anytime, especially if they're going up against a team like the Lakers or the Clippers, like guys that have been to the playoffs and succeeded, right? You know, it's daunting going up against LeBron, who's been to the finals, what is it, nine times? Eight, nine times? Kawhi Leonard, two finals MVPs. I mean, it's intimidating. It's very intimidating. And I'm having a very difficult time trying to find the Denver Nuggets fucking schedule. Hold on. No, I don't know my alphabet. This is grand. This is grand. So... Is it up yet? That's it. Okay. So I got one game. I got the bad I got the, the game they played the magic, which they lost, but whatever. It's a scrimmage. No one really cares. In that game. Bobol. Where's he at? Nineteen minutes, ten points, six rebounds, one assist, one block. Very small sample size. Right? But add that to the mix. And add Michael Porter Jr. to the mix as well who had, what was it, 20, 20 points last night? Is this last night's game? I'm trying to remember, dude. I'm so unprepared for this. Yeah, this was last night's game. He had 19 on 8 of 13 shooting. They, if they find a way to integrate those two guys and they're able to just give 15, 20 minutes, Denver gets a whole lot more intimidating. Their offense is already top 10 in the league, you know, Jokic and Jamal Murray carry the majority of that offense. But the well-roundedness 
of this squad, they might do some damage this postseason. I mean, they've shown us time and time again this year that they can contend with everybody else. I mean, they're the third seed right now, but because of the competitiveness out West, they're only two games back of the Clippers in the loss column. They could make up that ground over these eight games. I mean, if they get hot, it's they might... Hold on, let's let's restart this. If they get hot, the seeding could look very different after these two weeks or so pass. I mean, I've, I'm beginning to buy into the Denver Nuggets more. Another team, uh, Philly. I think I talked about this on the last podcast, but I still maintain my reluctance to lean on the Sixers or to be confident in them. Not because of their talent, but because they just they simply cannot play on the road. However, Ben Simmons has looked fantastic so far. If he's playing well, the Sixers are infinitely better because we know Joel Embiid is gonna we know what we know what Embiid's gonna do. But Simmons is the Simmons is the glue that helps keep that team together on both ends. Because he is just a brilliant playmaker. He controls, he has such great game sense and his awareness, his ability to control the pace. It's just, it's brilliant. It really is. And then on the defensive end, like this is someone who can go up against guys like Jason Tatum and Pascal Siakam and Giannis. I mean, this is arguably, arguably the best perimeter defender in the NBA. And he's looked every bit of that since coming back from his lower back injury. I mean, I don't know if I'm willing to bet on the Sixers, but they're going to they're gonna give the other top teams in the East a run for their money, especially if they get used to playing on this neutral court and they get into a rhythm and Brett Brown figures out the optimal lineup. I mean, it could be an interesting race. They could make a run for the conference finals. I don't want to rule it out, but I also, I would not bet my bank account on it. That, But that's just me. Um... Let's see what else. Who else has been impressive? I'm, I'm trying to think. Oh, Giannis, of course. Giannis has just been so freaking dominant, dude. He has no rust on him whatsoever. He dropped what was it, thirty points in last night's game in twenty three minutes, and then he had like twenty two points in twenty three minutes. I mean, the guy is just he's operating. At a different level. He is head and shoulders above everybody else in the Eastern Conference. By far the best player. By far the best player in the East. I mean, arguably best in the NBA. The only guy challenging him right now is LeBron. And LeBron, as we know, is going to produce. But, man, I'm telling you, if Giannis keeps playing like this, the Bucks, I, I don't see anybody slowing them down. I mean... Once you start talking about them having to get lucky with whom they match up against, you you already kind of know that they're that they're the most elite team because obviously Ben Simmons, Al Horford, Joel Embiid, they're going to be able to give Giannis problems. Same thing with uh Marcus All. Or I think is Marcus All still in the Raptors? I believe he is. Cuz I just saw a little uh a little quote about him talking about Marcus Hall, who, again, very quality NBA defender. But I don't know. 
I don't know. He's he's just looked so different in the two games I've watched of him. And of course, you know, scrimmages, teams aren't going all out. They don't have their rotation solidified. They're trotting out players who are not accustomed to seeing some of these minutes. I mean, just looking at the Nets roster, like <laughs> they have no idea what the fuck's going on. And that's the point of these scrimmage games is so that teams can shake off the rust, try to find a rhythm, and then once the season actually resumes, coaches are going to trim their rotation drastically. But it's really meant as like an integration phase because that's what teams would do heading into the playoffs in a regular season. They would trim their rosters. Well, they would have already had their rotations figured out. And for the most part, the teams do. But the ancillary pieces, especially on like the Lakers, who are trying to get Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith into into their rotation, it's going to take a little bit more time. And that's what these scrimmages are for. Because eight games really isn't that many. Especially after taking how many months off? Four? Four months off? Four and a half? What is That's 14 weeks? They need as much time as possible. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, this... I don't have any crazy overreactions aside from Bol Bol, who has really just looked incredible. I can't even, I can't really, I can't really say anything more than that. I, um, I do want to commend the NBA for how they've handled the bubble thus far. If you know me, if you follow me, you'll know that I was, I don't want to say hypercritical of the league's plan, but it definitely gave me cause for concern, right? The bubble, in theory, was the right was the right thing to do. You take all the guys, you keep them in one location. You don't have them travel anywhere because you're just putting them at risk. And we're seeing this right now with baseball. The Marlins have, it's either 14 or 18 total guys, somewhere around there. They have at least a dozen guys who have tested positive for COVID-19, right? What's baseball's pandemic plan, their coronavirus protocol? They regionalized the team's schedules, right? So if you're on the East Coast, you'll primarily play East Coast teams, right? If you're on the West, same thing goes. So if you're the Yankees, for example, I don't really follow baseball like that, but I took a peek, I took a peek at, at the Yankee schedule because I was talking to a couple of my friends about it. But if they're playing the Red Sox, the Mets, the Nationals, all these teams on the East Coast, even though they're not traveling cross-country, they still might be traveling to places that are highly contagious. And the Marlins the Marlins, are already high risk because they're in Florida. And Florida right now is overrun with COVID cases. It's, I don't even know how to fucking explain it. I cannot think of an analogy for how bad Florida is right now. It's just like every day there are, 10, 15,000 new cases. It's just, it's unbelievable. And of course, that was part of my reluctance for the NBA choosing Florida. But um, as we can see, the bubble, for the most part, works, right? So the Marlins, the guys know that they're sick. And it's been reported that they decided, the players decided to play, knowing that they were sick. So they're putting... They're non-infected teammates at risk. They're also putting their opponents at risk. Like, it just came out a couple hours ago that the Nationals, they don't want to travel to Florida. 
And can you blame them? No, you can't. So baseball should have figured out a way to make the bubble work because the NBA is showing that it's doable. Granted, the NBA has considerably less players to worry about. And the answer to that is maybe you just try to work on two bubbles, have one on the West Coast, have one on the East Coast. That's probably the plan that the NFL should do because you have 50-some-odd players on the roster, coaches. You have six coaches, six, seven, eight coaches, probably offense, defense, special teams, quarterback coaches. I mean, even if you kept just the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, the head coach, that's still three extra people. Maybe they should have tried to get two bubbles or something. I don't know. I don't really keep up with baseball, so it's difficult for me to try to, you know, What's the saying? Try to be like a Monday morning, try to Monday morning quarterback it because I, I, I simply don't follow the sport enough. And I will acknowledge that their circumstances are different. They're trying to play the majority of their season, like, well, maybe half. I think it's like 66 games. I think my one friend said 66 games in 60 days, which granted the NBA is not working with that. The winter sports, fortunately, they only have to worry about the postseason. So right away, you're working with a limited player pool, which is ideal because you're not bringing all the teams, unlike baseball, is they have to accommodate all 30, 32 teams, 30 teams, I think it is. They have to accommodate all these guys and they have to accommodate all the players and the coaches and they have to worry about traveling. And you have states like Florida and California and Arizona where there are multiple baseball teams. At least in California, there are multiple baseball teams. I'm trying to think... Yeah, Florida's got a couple. They have Miami and uh, Tampa Bay, I believe. They have multiple teams to worry about. Arizona only has the Diamondbacks, but you have teams traveling there, right? You have the Angels, the Mariners, whatever other, the Dodgers, I think. (laughs) They all have to travel to these spots. And I know that I'm not a baseball guy, so please don't crucify me if I'm butchering this. I know I shouldn't be talking about it, but... I'm going to talk about it anyway because I really, because that, because why would you not speak on things that you don't know anything about? It's more fun that way. Life is more fun that way when you're just ignorant. But anyway, the NBA's bubble has held up quite nicely. There haven't been, at least I don't believe there have been any positive COVID tests in a couple of weeks now. I think since mid-July, the last time the NBA conducted widespread testing, zero players came back positive. Of course, what we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that humans are going to human, mainly Rashawn Holmes and Lou Williams, both of whom were forced to quarantine after leaving the bubble for different reasons. Uh, Holmes did not travel that far. He left the bubble to get food that was delivered to him. Um, Lou Williams also left the bubble for food, but it wasn't just food. He had to tend to um, I think it was a family matter, if I remember personally. There was an emergency that was going on. Lou Williams had to leave, right? Now, the funny thing about the Lou Williams story is that it later came out that not only did he have this emergency to attend to, he had some uh, he had some fun on his way out. He hit up Magic City, not for the strippers, but for the food. And upon first thought, you know, someone, I'm not really cultured like that, I have never been to a strip club in my life, mainly because I don't think there are any on Long Island, at least none near me. So I'm not going to talk down to him, you know, choosing to live his life. That's that's his prerogative. But 
you know, I didn't know that people went to strip clubs just for the food. Like this food has to be hitting different for you to risk COVID for some wings. And bro, I saw I saw a picture of these wings on my uh, on my timeline. Dog, these were the nicest wings I had ever seen in my life. Like I don't condone those actions, but I understand. I definitely understand those wings were looking oh, so good. So good, bro. And I don't care if the photo was edited a little bit, like even the the raw image. I knew like it was they be hitting though. So anyway, <laughs> Lou Williams uh, is forced to quarantine. I believe it's 10 days. Zion Williamson is also quarantining. He had a family matter to attend to. There are multiple players who left the bubble to attend family to attend um, emergencies. And that's fine. Listen, dog, when life when life gets in the way, you got to handle it. It's unfortunate that it happened at this time, but still, you can't plan things like this. You can't predict when shit's going to hit the fan. If any of this happened during the regular postseason schedule, I'm sure the same thing would have happened. Would it have been news? No, because there weren't rules implemented, or not rules, but there weren't these guidelines in place that, like, there just weren't these quarantining guidelines in place. It wouldn't have been news because they they weren't doing anything, I don't want to say wrong, but they weren't, it's so weird to try to say this, because it's not like, it's not wrong, but it's wrong in the sense that they're breaking the rules, but it's not really serious like that. Like, there's no punishment. Like, quarantine, self-isolation isn't really a punishment. It's something that you have to do to potentially stop you getting everybody else sick. So, in short, I understand that these guys have personal matters to attend to. That's fine. As long as they abide by the rules upon returning, I can't see any reason... I can't see any reason to hate on them. Um, I feel like that would just be silly and I would just be, I would just look like a giant asshole because, because I would, I would look like a giant asshole for being like, Oh, Lou Williams shouldn't have left him. He shouldn't have left the bubble, put everybody in jeopardy like dog. If someone, if your family's in trouble, you gotta go. Like, I, I get it. I get it. And I get it. I get why he stopped for them wings on the way back. I totally understand. But um, I want to shift the conversation away from Lou Williams, and I'm trying to find things to talk about. But I have a feeling that today's episode is going to be rather short. I'm headed over to Twitter right now because I feel like I always feel like going into these. I have more ideas. I have more ideas in my head, and they just they never. They never find their way into my mouth and out into this microphone. I don't know what it is. Um, Where's it at? I mean, damn. I really, like, I don't want to really talk about the Knicks because I'm going to do that tomorrow. But the Knicks did hire Tom Thibodeau. I, I have nothing bad to say about it. I've held the same opinion on the Knicks coaching search for the last what is it like 3 months. They had two candidates, Kenny Atkinson and Tom Thibodeau. They could have gone with either. My preferred pick would have been Kenny. Tom Thibodeau is not a bad coach. I just feel like Kenny is a slightly better fit. Um there was the report 
of them looking at Jason Kidd and him being the front runner, but that turned out to be bullshit. Uh, Woj rose from the grave. He emerged from his suspension on what was it Saturday? I think it was, and pretty and just reported the Knicks finalized or are in the process of finalizing a five-year contract with Tom Thibodeau. Not a bad deal. I get it. Again, not my first choice, but a good choice nonetheless. Um, we can talk about Kyrie Irving talking the talk and you know actually being about it. He pledged $1.5 million to WNBA players who chose to opt out of their regular season or of their season. Pardon me. Um, shout out to Kyrie, man. That's, that's a great thing to do. That, that really is, it really is a fantastic move. Um, there are no restrictions upon these players. They can opt out for social reasons, um, pandemic related reasons. They are entitled to that money. Uh, Kyrie has time and time again shown that he is a good guy. And he just, he always seems to do the right thing, even though he doesn't say the right thing. And when I say, say the right thing, I'm talking about that one instance when he said that the earth was flat. And ever since then, it's pretty much been fuck Kyrie. Everyone's always been fuck Kyrie. And it's just, I get what he said was stupid, but like, it's not like he came out and said that you shouldn't vaccinate your kids or, you know, some outlandish shit like that. He was just like, oh, the earth might not be flat. Question everything. And it's like, no, that's not really how question everything works. But I get what you're trying to say. Um, just I think you're kind of silly for saying that. But then again, it's silly. Everyone knows the earth is round. It's silly to think otherwise. Suck my dick if you think. That. Actually, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't say that. I apologize. Fuck off. If you think the earth is flat. Like, there's... It's just... It's silly, dog. It really is. It's silly. So, again, shout out to Kyrie for putting his money where his mouth is. And as we know, WNBA is unfairly hated on. I... Would I consider myself a WNBA fan? Yes, in the sense that I like how they play the game. Am I an avid watcher? I am not. Mainly because my schedule just doesn't line up with it. Um, that's just a fancy way of saying that I'm lazy. In past years, you know, you spend October, November, December, January, February, March, April, May, June covering the NBA. And it's it's exhausting. And I don't even do it full time. It's just... It's a lot to keep up with, and the summer months for me, it's kind of, it's kind of a break, and I I choose to spend my time elsewhere. You know, exploring different hobbies, just chilling, you know, just relaxing, because it's tough to do that in season for six, seven, eight months. You know, uh, the majority of your days are occupied with the NBA whether you're writing, whether you're podcasting, whether you're doing other people's podcasts, whether you're watching tape, whether you're analyzing statistics and this, that, and the third, speculating. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. I love it, but that doesn't take away from it being a lot of time. 
do I care if people prefer the WNBA over the NBA? No, that's their prerogative. It's just, it's a different game. It's a different game. It's, um, if you're into basketball at its purest form, the WNBA is, is something that you should keep an eye on because unlike their male counterparts, they are not freakishly athletic. They are not enormous human beings who can just run and jump over everybody. They have to play the game more technically and more fundamentally. And it is a lot of fun because basketball, when it's executed that way, is tremendous. It's tremendous entertainment because it's unselfishness, the passing, the cutting, the rotations, the crispness, the crispness of everything. It's there's there really is nothing like it. It's like what it's similar to when you're watching a football game and you have some and you have a wide receiver who just runs the best routes. Like watching Chad Johnson run routes, watching Julio Jones run routes, watching Odell Beckham run routes. And they're they're separating themselves not with their athleticism, although that of course helps, but their their technique is just it's so spot on. And the WNBA is that all the time. 100% of the time, they are technically sound. And it is a lot of fun to watch. So Kyrie choosing to support these women when they feel that their their career, their life, their family is in jeopardy, shout out to him. Because it's unfortunate, but WNBA players are grossly underpaid. I do understand that. Um, people always like to be like, oh, well, the league isn't making so much money and it can't afford to pay them. And listen, I get it. Even if that's true, they are grossly underpaid. And it's tough for them to get endorsement deals because the league does not have as much recognition, right? And typically, WNBA players go overseas and they're pretty much playing basketball all year round. Of course, they can't do that, not because other leagues in the world aren't open, but because people from the United States are not allowed to travel to other places because we are unable to get our shit together regarding this pandemic. So, again, shout out to Kyrie. Uh, shout out to the NBA for controlling the bubble. Shout out to Lou Williams for putting the Magic City Wings on my radar. I also want to give a shout out to uh, Rodion's Kuruks who shot 8 of 12 from 3 in those handful of scrimmage games, a completely sustainable pace. I think that's 75%. Yeah, 75%, I think. Is it? I'm embarrassed. I don't know. Hold on. Let's... You know what? Fuck it. If my math is wrong, my math is wrong. Um, yeah, so today was kind of short. I guess I'm about 35 minutes and counting right now. Um... I just didn't really have that much to talk about. Of course, once everything starts back up again, I'll be able to actually talk about the games and bring meaningful analysis and some probably still trash opinions, but I really just I can't wait for Thursday. Thursday, meaningful NBA games are going to be back, and there will be a slight return to normalcy, and I'm very excited about it. So with that, I'm going to end it here. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, leave a like, leave a rating, subscribe if you're on Apple, um, do whatever the fuck you want, wherever else you listen to podcasts, 
and I will catch you guys in the next one.